The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. This, verily, is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, undertaken and fulfilled by Christ, and then proclaimed to us in the word of God with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, the law of love and grace, union with Christ by faith, and eternal fellowship with him and his. This is the truth of which the Lord spake when he said to his disciples, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled Set Free. Born Free was the title of a popular song and movie from the 1960s. However, the Bible clearly teaches us that none of us are born free. We are all born in slavery to sin and under its deadly curse. But believers have been set free from this deadly spiritual bondage through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you come to Him in faith and been set free forever by His love and grace? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 8 and verse 2. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with the message entitled, Set Free. Through the Lord Jesus Christ we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We rejoice in the wonders of the salvation which thou hast provided for us. And we ask thee that thou shalt ever make us aware of the infinite resources that are available for all who have been born again. Resources which come to us from the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and from his resurrection. Bless each listener in this hour and use thy word as thou seest the need in each case to bring us to the place where we shall know thee better and love thee more. We ask it in the name and for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today is Romans 8.2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath set me free from the law of sin and death. Now the reason why there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus is now set forth. God has introduced an entirely new set of principles. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath freed us from the law of sin and death. We were the slaves of that law of sin and death. But by the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and the other phases of God's work, which center in that death, we have been emancipated from the slavery that was ours by nature. 
Before coming to the writing of this study, I've gone over once more the thoughts of many of the foremost commentators, and I have been amazed at the widespread variation of their interpretations. It would seem almost as though they were looking at divinely expressed principles, but that they were rather afraid to take a definite stand upon them because they knew that, in practice, Christians are not only not perfect, but often very imperfect. I'm inclined to believe that the confusion rises out of their failure to understand the great conflict in chapter 7. A Griffith Thomas makes it the struggle in the heart of a good, unregenerate man. Now we have shown that there is no such goodness and how impossible such an interpretation is. A Newell makes it a purely Jewish struggle and we have seen how impossible that interpretation is. A Bullinger is little short of antinomian saying that this is, quote, not the experience of one man in two successive stages, but the coexistence of the two experiences in the one man at the same time, unquote. But if we see that there has been growth from experience to experience, each one higher than the preceding, then there will not be so much difficulty. The unsaved man does not have God in all his thoughts, we read in the psalm. He receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, they are foolishness unto him. He does evil and has pleasure in others who do evil. Therefore, we know that this conflict is not that in the heart of an unsaved man. The saved man, on the other hand, is immediately justified and learns the sinfulness of sin by the knowledge of the law. He learns that by his identification with Jesus Christ, he is able to walk in newness of life. He enters into the great truth of delivering the old man over to be crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be canceled out. Now it's after this, after Romans 6, 6, that the most terrible conflict of all comes into the life of the believer. He has thought, when he has first looked to Christ as Savior, that the conflict with sin will be over, and that having received a Savior, he will be in a state of pure salvation, a state of complete victory. But suddenly, the presence of sin makes itself known, and there is a revulsion of horror. He then learns that God himself can do nothing with the old nature of sin in the way of improving it. And the growing saint concurs in the judgment and yields himself to God for the crucifixion death. Surely this will bring perfection, but it doesn't. When he would do good, evil is still present with him. He learns that perfect, unmixed good is not possible, so long as the seepage of the old nature is there. He then is brought along to realize that there is absolutely no condemnation for him because he is in Christ Jesus. But he is now able to learn, thank God, that even though he has a foul nature within him, it is possible for him to live in outward victory, in real triumph. The flesh can be maintained as crucified with Christ, and the spirit can be maintained in its place of reigning in life by Christ Jesus. It is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that has made him free from the law of sin and death. An illustration can be drawn from the passage of the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. The law of gravity was working to keep the waters of that sea in their bed. When the moment came for the Lord to show his deliverance, the new principle of the blowing east wind entered the picture. The Lord drove the sea back, we read, by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. The law of gravity was pulling these waters down as much as it ever had. But the miraculous power of the law of the east wind made the children of Israel free from the law of gravity, 
which would have pulled the waters over them as it did upon the unregenerate Egyptians. So it is that the law of sin and death in our lives can pull in but one direction. There is no possibility whatsoever that sin can ever be anything other than sin. It is impossible that any man who is in sin and death can ever have anything whatsoever of life until God intervenes. Then the law of the spirit, and the Greek word is pneuma, the Hebrew word ruach, it means wind. The law of the wind of life in Christ Jesus blows its force against the law of sin and death. Immediately, though we are surrounded by death, and it is even within us by nature, we are freed from its pull, and it becomes possible for us to live in triumph over sin. That nature may surround us like the walls of water surrounded Israel, but the wind of God's power can keep it from falling back on us as we walk dry-shod to deliverance. Now, if we read all of the epistle closely, we will see that it, like many of the other epistles, including those written by Peter and John, have the structure of a chain. A link of truth is introduced, and then a second link of truth is introduced. After this, the first link is completed and welded, and a third link is introduced in the second, followed by the completion of the second, and so on. And to change the figure of speech, at times the truth is set forth as a cluster of gems, with a sparkling diamond in the center, surrounded by other gems that are set in such a fashion as to exhibit the central beauty. As gem after gem is examined, our eyes are drawn to the central stone, and then on to consider another gem, which in turn shall manifest the brilliance of yet another facet of the great gem. Christ, the Lord Jesus, in the eternal beauty of his person and work, is the center of all the thoughts of God, and the greatest glory of his work is that he should have stooped to lift us from the mire of sin in order to seat us by his own side as bride with the bridegroom. The epistle to the Romans has been occupied with a description of this process. Having shown that work by which he made it possible to lift us out of the horrible pit, he now proceeds to show how he has made us all glorious within. There has been a full presentation of the truth that the law is holy, just, and good. It has been established that the law was given as a thing impossible of fulfillment, brought in for the purpose of establishing a standard of measurement that would reveal the imperfections of every man, thus stopping every mouth and bringing the whole world guilty before God. And it has been shown in many ways that the law is incapable of making any man holy. It is as impossible for the law to make any man holy as it is impossible for a ten-foot pole to make a man ten feet tall. A ten-foot pole can do nothing but be a ten-foot pole and show up the shortness of the man who stands beside it. And the law can do nothing but be the law, and show up the sin of the man who stands beside it. The moment either of them try to do anything about changing a man, whether the pole or the law, they are found to be helpless, weak because of the flesh. Just here may best be seen the wonderful work that Christ does for us, and the Holy Spirit does in us. At the moment we are condemned because we have come short of the glory of God, the Lord Jesus Christ takes the guilt of our sin, is condemned in our stead, and then in his risen life we are made a part of him, so that henceforth we are no longer measured by our own insufficient height, but the Lord Jesus Christ is measured for us. In that moment the Father sees us accepted in the Beloved. In the moment that we are born from above, made a partaker of the divine nature, 
the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. He is the same moral and spiritual height as the Lord Jesus, and there can be no condemnation for us since Christ is measured for us and the Holy Spirit is seen to be within us. And it is Christ and the Holy Spirit at which God now looks in us. And now our text shows us that God begins to cause us to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It is wonderful that Paul, who has gone away from the personal pronoun for a verse, changes back at this point from the third person to the first. In the first verse, there is no condemnation for them who are in Christ Jesus. But immediately he puts himself in that place and sets forth the basis of his own emancipation. He knows, as every true child of God knows, when the indwelling life and power enters in. It is impossible to have the quickening life of the Holy Spirit without being aware of it. It is interesting to note the word that is used for the coming of that life. You have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In the days of Shakespeare, the word quick, quicken, was a common word for life and to make alive. We have its survival in the nursery rhyme, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick. In other words, look alive, be alive. The use of quick for speedy in our day is a complete change of meaning from the original. The only other modern survival of the term is that used by the obstetrician to describe the first movements of a babe in the mother's womb. When she can feel the movements of the child at midterm, the doctor says that the babe is quickened. So it is with the life that is ours in Christ. It must make itself known. Oh, there may be stirrings before full birth. There may be awkward moments of heaviness, but the life that is there must, must manifest itself. Now, in order that we may understand how it is that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed us, it is perhaps best to look first at the law of sin and death from which we are freed. There are other verses in the New Testament which make it evident that the law of sin and death is, first of all, the moral law, the Ten Commandments. In the second epistle to the Corinthians, Paul contrasts the two laws even as he does here. And in that passage, the ministration of the Spirit, we read in 2 Corinthians 3.7, is contrasted with the ministration of death written and engraven in stones. And a verse or two farther along in the ninth verse, he gives it yet another name, the ministration of condemnation. That this law is the law of sin and death is further pointed out in the epistle to the Galatians. And there we read, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, in the light of these names for the moral law, how obtuse are the minds of men, how corrupt and dead to spiritual things, when they think that somehow their attempts at keeping the law, which was given to measure and slay them, could somehow be the cause of their blessings and their salvation. Surely man is in spiritual darkness. But the reference in our text is not only to the law that was given by Moses, it's also a reference to the law which Paul found in his members, that when he would do good, then evil was present with him. This another law was in his members, warring against the law of his mind and bringing him into captivity to the law of sin, which was in his members. Now, if anyone will try to say that we have shown that this is the law of innate corruption and that there will be no deliverance until the Lord delivers us by death, 
or by transformation of our bodies at the return of the Lord Jesus. We answer that final deliverance will occur then, but that present deliverance is already ours, in that this inbred corruption can neither incur our condemnation nor bring about our separation from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Thus we have been delivered from the present power of the law of sin and death by the coming into our being of the Holy Spirit and his law of life in Christ Jesus. Just as the root of every sin is to be found in every child of Adam, so the root of every grace and all power is to be found in the life of every child of God who has been made alive in Christ. For the life with which we have been made alive is none other than the life of God. We have been made partakers of the divine nature. Rainsford has searched through the word of God and set down several utterances on divine laws of power and concludes that they are all a part of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I would hesitate to apply the first of his instances, Isaiah 51.4, to our text, for I think it is to have a complete fulfillment for Israel and the nations at the time of the return of the Lord and the establishment of his kingdom. But certainly we can accept that this law includes many of the gracious expressions of power and life that are to be found throughout the word. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the law of love and life proceeding from God, being the spirit of life, the law of pardon, the law of full and free salvation, the law of peace. Christ himself proclaimed this law in the synagogue of Nazareth. This royal law of perfect love is the gospel of the grace of God, and it is the prerogative of the Holy Spirit to reveal it and communicate its fullness to the soul of the believer in Jesus Christ. It is the law of our Father, who, having set forth Christ to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, is just and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus, and is able to make all grace abound toward us, that we, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound unto every good work. Sometimes it is called the perfect law of liberty, because it is the law whereby Christ makes the pardoned sinner free, cancelling his condemnation and translating him out of darkness into God's marvelous light, investing him with the righteousness of God and making him accepted in the beloved. Sometimes it is called the royal law, because it is the law of a royal king, how sovereign and glorious it is, proclaiming peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is nigh. Sometimes it is called the law of righteousness, for it is founded in righteousness, it goes forth in righteousness, it bestows righteousness, it emancipates the soul, and it establishes the believer in that way of righteousness which it reveals, consummates, and proclaims and its divine author shall never fail or be discouraged until he has established righteousness on the earth, and the isles shall wait for his law. Sometimes it is called the law of truth. Thy law is the truth. We may rest our souls upon it. It can never alter or fail us. Sometimes it is called the law of love. Love worketh no ill to its neighbors. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And it is in Christ Jesus, this law. That is, it is fulfilled and secured in him. Christ is the center and circumference of its fullness, of its power and its efficacy. It is the law he came down from heaven to fulfill and of which he speaks. I delight 
to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and he fulfilled it in fulfilling all righteousness for us, making reconciliation for our iniquity and offering an all-sufficient atonement for our sins, so that being justified by his blood, we might be saved from wrath through him, abolishing death by his own death in our stead, ransoming us from the power of the grave in his resurrection, uniting us to himself in the power of his own endless life as heirs of God and joint heirs with himself, and praying the Father to send us another comforter, even his own Holy Spirit, to dwell in us, to lead us into all truth, to unite us to himself and to each other, to seal us with his name and be evermore within us as a well of living water, springing up into everlasting life, sanctifying, quickening, reviving, revealing, comforting us, and receiving of the things of the Lord Jesus Christ and showing them to us. This verily is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, undertaken and fulfilled by Christ, and then proclaimed to us in the word of God with the Holy Spirit sent down from heaven, the law of love and grace, union with Christ by faith, and eternal fellowship with him and his. This is the truth of which the Lord spake when he said to his disciples, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, which hath made me free from the law of sin and death. What I wish to stress for the comfort of every believer is that every phase of this life is within him from the moment of his new birth. Within a few hours of the time I write this, I've had a young officer of the United States Marines come to me with a problem. He had been saved in his childhood, but he had never been grounded in the word. He had gone into our armed forces and drawn down into the whirlpool of the life about him. He had fallen into sin. After he had heard me preach, he came to me with tears in his eyes and with anguish in his voice. The spirit had convicted him of his laxity, his sin, and the coldness of his walk. His exact words were these. He says, now I know that a Catholic can go to his priest and get absolution for his sins, but what about us? What happens to my sins? Oh, how happy I was to point him to the word of God and to bring him anew to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We went together to 1 John 1, 9 and read it. If we confess our sins, and I explained that this confession was to God himself, as in the presence of the Holy Spirit. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He saw that, but he continued, but what's to keep me from falling back into sin and continuing in it? I don't want to have to keep confessing the same things over and over. And then I took him to this text in Romans. I showed him what the Lord Jesus had done for him on the cross and what the Holy Spirit had been given to accomplish. He looked at the text and repeated, from the law of sin and death. Yes, that's it. That's what I want. I want freedom from the law of sin and death. And I said to him, does it say that he will free you or that he has freed you? He saw then that it was in the past tense. And I told him that it was like money in the bank that had been deposited long ago to his credit. If he had been living in poverty while the credit was there, it was not the fault of the Holy Spirit who had provided him the credit. 
It was there, as it is there for every believer, in every one of its parts, living assets of life in Christ Jesus, available for you now. And, O oh God, our Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit shall give to every Christian the sense of reality in Christ, that thou hast not saved us in order that we might limp haltingly through the Christian life, falling and rising and falling, but that thou hast saved us in order that we might be saved from our sins to a life of present triumph, that thou hast established us in triumph, and that thou hast made it possible for us to live as those who are alive from the dead. If there be any who listen who have not been born again, give them restlessness, that they may know no peace until they rest in Christ. But upon thy believing own, may thy grace, thy mercy, thy peace, and a knowledge of the present assets of the life that has made us free from the law of sin and death. And unto thee be the glory and the majesty, the dominion and the power, now till our Lord Jesus come again and forever. Amen. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. The glorious gospel truth of God's abounding grace and love has made us free for all eternity. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, Set Free. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse via the internet by visiting us at www.alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free. 1-800-488-1888 Today's message again is entitled Set Free or simply request message number R8-3 We would also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled The Bible Under Attack Believers embrace the Holy Scriptures as the very Word of God but for years the reliability and trustworthiness of the Bible has been challenged by the enemies of the Gospel this five-chapter booklet addresses subjects such as Jesus and the Scriptures, written by God, the inspiration of the Scriptures. This booklet powerfully reaffirms the inerrancy, infallibility, and authority of the living Word of God. Ask for your free copy of The Bible Under Attack when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you've benefited from this broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time 
for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.